The Just End the Suffering Podcast. For the win. Got it! Oh! He broke his ankle! Follow me! Follow me to freedom! Here's your host, Mike Phillips. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the latest episode of the Just End the Suffering Podcast. We're New York Sports Talk and Long Suffering Fam. Your host, Mike Phillips. We got a good show for you this week. We are going back into the baseball world for a little bit. We're going to talk about the red-hot New York Yankees. As they are recording, they have won six in a row. They are the best record in baseball at 39-15. and 15. And we joined just a bit by Dan Federico, longtime friend of the podcast. Very good Yankee follow on Twitter. We'll chat to Dan about all the Yankees went up to, the storylines of the season, what they could be looking to improve as the year goes forward. That's coming in just a bit. We're also going to continue our Stranger Things Volume 1 coverage. Our pop culture correspondent, Sandra Rose, is back at the end of the show. We're going to do the second half of Volume 1. We're going to recap episodes 5 to 7, go through all the big storylines, look ahead to what's coming up in Volume 2, some stuff to look forward to there. If you like what you hear on the Just and the Suffering podcast, feel free to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, Google Play, all the usual suspects. Simply search for Just and the Suffering, your favorite podcast platform, and follow episodes there. Feel free to your feedback and star as well. Help with the podcast even better going forward. Again, if you like what you're hearing, let us know. If you don't, give me some feedback, how we can make the show better. That is all up to you guys. I really appreciate when you do ch- chime in. Check out the YouTube page, Mike Phelps on YouTube. Video versus these conversations with Dan and Sam are going to be up on the YouTube page. Again, Mike Phillips on YouTube. And without any further ado, we're going to go to our opening tip. We're going to get you up to date on what the Rangers are up to in the Eastern Conference Finals. Recording after game number four against the Tampa Bay Lightning. That's coming up right after this. Three, two, one. Y'all ready for this? The opening tip. Here we go. All right, opening tip time here. Talking about the New York Rangers here as they are now tied 2-2 in the Eastern Conference Finals with the Tampa Bay Lightning. Recording right after the end of Game 4, Rangers lose it 4-1. And this series has been the tale of basically... Two and a half games went in the Rangers' favor. One and a half went to the Lightning. And as a result, we're still tied because we talked about the podcast last week. Pete Considori came on here to talk about, you know, everybody was favoring the Lightning, but the Lightning were going on a big nine-day layoff between games. And there was a chance of some rust. That proves to be accurate because Rangers came out. Andre Vasilevsky looked off. Tampa looked off. Rangers win the opener in a route 6-2, win 3-2 game two, heading down to Tampa, up 2-0, set halfway through game three. You're thinking, great, you know, this could be a route. This is a chance, unfortunately, the Rangers missed on here because they had a chance to step on the necks of the lighting. They did not. The Tampa off the mat, Tampa taking some power plays, a couple of bad pounds of Jacob Truba, tie the game, get the game winner late from Andre Palat in the final minute, 2-1. Game four, pretty much all Tampa. They get the lead early, never English it. Rangers don't score until the final minutes of the game on a six-on-four power play when they pull the empty net. This game is never in doubt. Tampa wins 4-1. Series is tied at two, and all I'm right now is very the lightning. And the Rangers now also have some injuries you're dealing with in this series. Uh, Philip Heal left this game, did not return. Ryan Strom got banged up in Gang 3, tried to go Game 4, could not. And the Rangers do not have the depth right now to sustain losing guys like Strom and Heal. Losing Barker could draw up to the second line, it's not ideal. You're getting guys like uh, Dryden Hunt in the back in the lineup and Kevin Rooney. They should not be on the ice in playoff games. So, this is the risky run here. The Rangers had Game 3 in their grasp. They could smell it. And against a team like Tampa that has been dominant in the postseason the last few years. They've won two cups in a row. You do not let them get off the mat. That's a mistake a young team made. And now they're paying for it. And we are heading to a critical game five at MSG on Thursday night. 
the Rangers hopefully could get some health here. They really need to have Strom and Hedl in the lineup on Thursday. We'll see if that happens. Because right now, all momentum is in Tampa's favor. And if Tampa steals this game, if they win game five in New York, it's going to be brutally hard for the Rangers to go on the road, win game six in Tampa, and force it back to New York for game seven. The one thing the Rangers have working with them right now is the home ice. And they were very good at MSG. They won seven straight playoff games at Madison Square Garden, dating back to the first round of the playoffs here. If they can defend home ice in both games, they're going to the Senate Cup final. They're going to take on the Avalanche, who already swept the Edmonton Oilers. They're now waiting for the winner of this series, which will now go at least until Saturday night because game six is scheduled there. We are going back to Tampa for sure. The Rangers need this game five a lot more than Tampa does. Tampa has the experience that they know they can go out and win in game seven. In their history, they won in game seven at MSG too back in 2015 when the Rangers looked like they were going to try and win the cup they couldn't get the year before. This is the time to try and take advantage here. Game five, they do not win this. I'm going to say they are not winning the series. Because based on what I've seen of how they play in Tampa, I would be stunned if they find a way to win that game on the road if they're down 3-2. They have to be up 3-2. We'll do more on the Rangers next week, but up next we're going to talk some Yankees with Dan Federico right after this. All right, we are back here on the Just End the Suffering podcast, talking about the red-hot New York Yankees. Join me today, big friend of the podcast. If you were a big Yankee Twitter guy, he is definitely someone you have to follow. Dan Federico is here. Dan, how are you? Hey, Mike, what's going on? Thanks for having me back. Not a problem. And I got to ask you, first off the bat here, if we went back to, I'd say, right after the Josh Donaldson trade, and there's a lot of mixed feelings about the Yankee offseason here, I told you that on record day, June 6th, the Yankees would be 39 and 15 had the best record in baseball. What would you say to me? I mean, listen, it's something that would have shocked me, to be honest. I mean, I know this offseason didn't um, grab the headlines that a lot of people wanted, at least in a positive way. You know, shortstop is the big thing. Oh, they're going to get Correa. Maybe uh, they'll turn around and get one of the other guys, Corey Seager, Trevor Story. Um, if not, oh, we'll go to first base. Maybe Freddie Freeman. Uh, instead, they bring back Rizzo, obviously trade for Donaldson. Um, didn't grab the headlines, like I said, but I mean, so far it's worked out as good as it could have. Yeah, absolutely has. I think the thing for me that's the most surprising this team has been the the pitching, just because there's a team you look at the lineup up and down, you see all these big bats, like, oh, the Yankees in the past have won with out slugging people, taking advantage of bad pitching staffs. Here, you know, they have one of the best ERAs in baseball, have a tremendous starting rotation. What do you think about this Yankee pitching uh, phenom- phenom- like phenomenon here? I mean, the, the all five starting pitchers, you, you can make the case. I mean, I don't think it'll happen, but they, they, they could each be all-stars the way they're pitching, and, they're, and their numbers truly do reflect that. I mean, you knew going into the season, um, you know, obviously the questions last year, Garrett Cole, was it the sticky stuff, was it injuries? You, you still hope he's going to be that number one. You're paying him to be that number one, so, you, you know, you could always rely on him. But then, you know, you have Seve coming back from an injury. You have Tyon coming back from injury. You have, you know, Monty, who's been good, but also up and down. And then, of course, Nestor Cortez, who showed flashes last year, but was it real, was it not? You just don't know. And in the span of an offseason, this group has turned around and become the best starting pitching staff in baseball. And they are the key behind the way this team has been winning. Yes, the bats have been good, and they've been putting together better at-bats and have, have been a collective unit in that regard. But, I mean, I think this team really starts and ends with the starting unit. Yeah, absolutely. I also give Brian Cashin credit here for putting more of an emphasis on the defense of this team, especially on the infield and behind the plate, because I feel like one thing I've noticed here at this group is that especially behind the plate, the catching combo of Jose Trevino and Kyle Gashioka has done a much better job with the pitch range. I feel like that was an area Gary Sanchez struggled last year. I feel like that's also helping the staff. Oh, 100%. I mean, you go up the middle, you think, you know, add catcher Trevino and Higashioka, who are both, you know, what they are as hitters. Uh, but obviously an upgrade over Sanchez behind the plate. And you always have to shout out Isaiah Kiner for left back shortstop. He's been um, super effective on defense and has shown some flashes in the box as well. But, I mean, bringing him in, you knew you were bringing him in for his defense. And then that, at the same time, slides Glaber over to his natural position at second. Um, and then, of course, center field. I mean, I think I saw the other day Aaron Judge has played 42%, I think it was, of his games in center. 
And, you know, he's, he's not a natural center fielder, but he's taken it on extremely well as well. So that defense up the middle, which has been a weakness a lot of the time, has really improved. So uh, um, that's something that has reflected as well for the Yankees in a positive way. Absolutely. And the, obviously, I think the story of this team right now, we'll get to judge it a minute here, is Nestor Cortez. Because obviously last year, he gets a spot in the rotation of all the injuries. He pitches well. Going into the spring, he had to basically fight for a job. I don't think I think if Domingo Herman doesn't get hurt, he might not even be in the rotation. Here he is there now, five and one, one five ERA, sixty eight strikeouts, fourteen walks, and sixty innings pitched this year. I mean, right now, if you were building the all he might actually start the game out in LA next month. How crazy has it been to see what Nestor Cortez has become? I mean, you know, you love the flash of like a Garrett Cole, you know, just that big money ace throwing gas all day, but there's just something about a guy who's probably you know, if you pass him on the street, you wouldn't know he was a major league pitcher, that's for sure. Just like somebody who's in there doing crafty things and not only, you know, getting people out. Like, it's one thing if he was a reliever, you know, switching up his, his timing and all that and getting some big outs in late innings. This guy's doing it for an extended period of time over games, and now it's an extended period of time over seasons because this dates back to last year. I mean, when he came up and was starting uh, towards the second half of the season last year, he put together a 2.90 ERA. I mean, he, he was getting it done, and he's just taken it to another level. I mean, his fastball-cutter combo has just been insane. Uh, he, he knows how to use his pitches, where to locate them. Again, he's not throwing high heat. He's not, you know, wowing people away with, with what he does on the mound. He's just so effective in what he does. And it just seems like, at this point, not only is he comfortable in the pitcher he is, and it's not like he's trying to do anything outside of his, his comfort zone, but he's excelling in that role. So he's, like you said, taking the league by storm. Uh, you know, he's definitely going to be in the running to start. I think it would be a fantastic story if he does. And another one of those guys, you know, clubhouse guy, everybody has his back. Everybody's rooting for him. And it kind of just ties into, again, you know, right thing, right time. Everything's clicking and, and it's showing in the results for him. Yeah, absolutely is. And the other guy, I think, from the pitching staff, that's fascinating me because I know the bullpen's had a run of injuries here. What the Yankees have gotten out of Clay Holmes is incredible because, I mean, He's been lights out all year. Now he stepped into the closers role, the role this Chapman hurt. He's dominated in that role as well. And like, it makes you wonder here, like even when Chapman returns, like, can you take Clay Holmes out of that role? I mean, it's hard because Chapman, you know, a couple of rare instances when he struggled, not rare instances when he struggled, but the rare instances when they've moved him, not as closer, um, you know, so, so there's precedent there, but not a lot. Um, but you can't. I don't think you could deny Clay Holmes right now. I mean, he's on a streak, uh, twenty-five plus innings where he hasn't given up an earned run, and he's just he, he's just been lights out. And it's one of those things you look back and you think of Hoy Park, where when they traded him for Clay Holmes, everybody was up in arms, myself included. Not necessarily up in arms, but just he was excelling so much in AAA, and the Yankees needed hitting, middle infield help, and they just didn't want to go with him. Obviously, they saw something in Holmes where they knew it would be able to translate with Matt Blake well. And again, credit to him. Not only has he reformed the starting uh, unit of five pitchers, but his bullpen. I mean, what he's getting out of Clay Holmes has been insane, and he's just been one of the best relievers in baseball. And it's it's going to be a conversation because, you know, you have to factor in money and what Chapman has done in the past, but I just don't see how they, they could justify replacing Holmes with Chapman once he does return. Yeah, absolutely. And the lineup right now, I mean, obviously, they just got John Carl Stanton back. Donaldson's back recently. The, the guy of the whole year has been Aaron Judge. I remember the whole story at the beginning of the year was like, oh, how can he turn down this money from the Yankees? They gave him the huge contract offer. He said about himself, and it's a pretty good bet so far. I mean, 21 homers, 42 RBIs, leads the league in home runs right now. I feel like the price item has definitely gone up, and it's incredible seeing what he can do when he's actually, you know, staying fully healthy and not getting injured. I mean, you really have to respect, I think, the fact that he bet on himself and he said, listen, I'm not this injury riddled guy who only puts up numbers when I play half the games. Like, no, he said, I'm going to come into the season, do my thing. And he's doing it in spades. I mean, I'm on record. You could check my tweets from back in the day, 2017, that season, he should have won MVP was rookie of the year. I wasn't saying judge was going to fall off, but I just never thought he'd be able to replicate that season. I mean, he was that good his rookie year, but 2022, he's taken it to another level. I mean, he has been fantastic. And that's when you factor in, again, like I said before, he's playing center field a lot. I mean, I feel like multiple times a week this guy's playing in center field. So um, what he's been able to do, um, carry this team offensively, not carry them, everybody's kind of pulling their weight, but he's been the driving force. He's been the engine in this team. So uh, what he's done, I mean, he's added, you know, he, you could justify it. He's added another $100 million on this contract he could ask for. I mean, that's 
that's how well he's playing. Now, will he hold up? There's still a lot of the season left, but you can only go with and judge what he's done so far, and that's been being fantastic. So um, he has money in space. This contract he's going to get next year. Yeah, absolutely. And the one thing that's also impressive the Yankees here is they've started to get bit by the injury bug quite a bit. I mean, we saw Stanton and Donaldson miss time. They have injuries on the pitching side. Like, is there an injury right now that concerns you the most about what's going on with them? You know, it, it, it was almost like too good to be true in the beginning. I mean, they were willing everybody to be, especially for the Yankees team where they, they've dealt with injuries these last few years all the time. And I know they've gone through different people in the training staff and they're trying to take the approach differently and bring in different types of players. You know, like they got rid of guys like Luke Boyd, who may be more prone to injuries where, you know, you bring in somebody else. So, um, I, you know, it's funny when you think about it, even with the Donaldson and Sandy's injuries, I still think, not the issue, but I, I still gear back towards the bullpen where you lose a Chad Green and a Luis Heel who, you know, he wasn't getting that experience or that playing time early on in the majors, but I was steadfast in believing that he was going to be a major part of his bullpen at some point this season, Luis Heel. So losing him was tough. Chad Green's a battle-tested veteran. His numbers may have not been where you expect, but he's somebody you're going to trust in those big situations. I mean, he's done it time and time again. So losing the two of them has been huge. Obviously, Chapman, like you said, too, has been, you know, bitten with the injury bug. I think they have a lot of depth in the minors, and they have guys who could step up uh, in their bullpen as well that are currently on the roster. Um, so I, I don't know, you know, if this would necessitate, let's say, a trade, even though I wouldn't be surprised if they looked that way as well as we get to July. But I think the bullpen is where, you know, you want to have as many arms as possible. And when you lose a couple big ones, man, options start running out. So that's something I would keep an eye on. But at the same time, right now, everything's clicking in the right way. So I think they're just going to stay status quo, go with who they have, just elevate people in terms of the depth chart, bring some guys up from the minors. Yeah. Also, one thing I also want to ask you about here is the, is the lineup as a whole, because I mean, obviously you got some big performance at the top from Judge and John Carlo and John Carlo's been healthy here. But I feel like the line's very top heavy and like that bottom match was just of late, like five to nine has been an issue for them. Like, what are your feelings about the lineup as a whole? I mean, like you said, it's that it's that bottom half, you know, that seven, eight, nine in the hole has been tough. And they're getting, you know, you, you think of somebody like Jose Trevino playing fantastic. He's one of those guys that I feel like will always be like, oh, he was a Yankee back in old timers day. Like even if he's, it's one, two years with the Yankees, but that, the, the way he's playing, is he going to be able to keep that up? I don't know. I mean, just based off his history, probably not. Um, but then at the same time, you, you hope the market correction with like an Anthony Rizzo or a Josh Donaldson where, you know, they're struggling a little bit, but they'll eventually get back up to where you expect them to be. But at the same time, you know, this Hicks-Joey Gallo outfield situation is just not going to work. And I know they, 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 they like Hicks and they, they give him the big money and they think he brings other things to the table, whether that's being a switch hitter, drawing walks, whatever. But the two of them at the bottom of the lineup has is, is hurt them. And, it's surprising how well they've been playing when you have two big holes like that. And those are Aaron Hicks and Joey Gallo are guys you expect to, to, to bring you value. So it's hard to, not hard. It's surprising to see how well they've been playing when you have two serious black holes like that at the bottom of your lineup. Yeah. I mean, I'm looking right now. I mean, Joey Gallo, six home runs, nine RBIs is not what you're paying for when you get a guy like that. No. And it's something where, you know, I think when they traded for him, and he was rumored to the Yankees for years, you know, a couple of years that people thought, oh, yeah, he'd be a great fit in the short porch. I remember when they brought him in, I wasn't, I didn't want him to come in and think like, all right, you're going to, he's going to be the three hitter, be this, you know, huge difference maker. I thought he would be perfect in that five, six, seven role where, listen, you're going to take those strikeouts and that's, that's what's going to happen. He's not going to have a high batting average, but you put him in Yankee Stadium, he's going to hit 35 home runs, driving a bunch of one, runs, walk a bunch. But this year, he's not even doing the home run stuff, which what you expect out of him. So it's been tough. Um, you have to factor in whether it's fair or not, you know, these potential, I don't want to say mental issues. I'm not trying to, you know, say he has problems. But, you know, they were documented this offseason that he has a lot in his head going on, and he, he takes things personally. So you have to factor that in when you're in a big market like New York. And it's something where, listen, he may not work here, but there may be some other teams that, that could find value in his skill set, which unfortunately this season they've been highlighted more his, his shortcomings. So I don't know what you do there. He's going to be a free agent at the end of the year. I can't see them bringing him back unless it was for super cheap, which I think Joey Gallo would get a, a, a significant contract on the market 
just for what he brings. So, um, yeah, it's been interesting, this, uh, this uh, experiment, I guess you could say. And right now, it's not really working for him. Yeah, it's not. I feel like for sure you need at least one outfield at the deadline because, like you said before, playing Aaron Judge in Latin center field is a risk because he's a big dude out there and he's a chance he could get hurt, and that really sinks your whole offense here. So do you think they can get away with getting, adding just one outfield at the deadline if they have to try and find two? I think, you know, a big thing about this is Miguel Andujar. Now, there are reports coming out this weekend that he requested a trade, which, in my opinion, is understandable. I mean, like we've been discussing, Joey Gallo struggling, Aaron Hicks struggling. Hey, um, Miguel Anhar comes up. I'm not saying he was significantly better than them because if you look at their, their OPS rankings, or numbers, I'm sorry, they, they were pretty similar between Hicks, Anduhar, and Gallo. And then you also have to factor in, you know, how much you're paying Hicks and Gallo compared to Anduhar. But I think he did deserve a longer look despite people coming back uh, from the injured list, uh, just playing him regularly out in left field. I think if you hang on to him and you have guys like the Yankees like in Tim LaCastro, you know, or even Esteban Florial, who still gets his chances once in a while at the big league level, I don't think they'd need two. I think they could still get away with just bringing in one. I do think probably a center fielder would be best, um, but I don't think they would pigeonhole themselves in saying, oh, you know, we need to bring in just a center fielder when you have somebody like Tim LaCastro or Esteban Florial in the system. I could see, you know, Andrew Benintendi, he's been rumored. He'd be a really good fit, I think, in the lineup. I think an Ian Happ, where he's somebody who could play center field, you bring him in. And also, he's pretty flexible around the diamond as well. I could see names like that won't cost a ton to bring them in. Uh, definitely um, short-term pieces that could kind of help round out the bottom half of this lineup. Uh, that would be the way to go. But I think it would only be one. Like, I could see only a Benintendi or a Happ, not both of them. Yeah, let me ask you a question here in terms of the trade candidate I just thought of. And it's something I don't know if Brian Cashman will do because he tends to hug the prospects a little bit, does not want to give up big value here. But I feel like a guy like Brian Reynolds would be perfect for this Yankee team because you could put him in center field. He could be here for a couple of years. And this is a team that's as, as good as this is. Like, this is worth taking the big swing. Do you think they would engage the Pirates here and be willing to pay what it takes to get a guy like Reynolds over here? Well, see, the, the thing with Brian Reynolds is, I mean, he was a hot name in the offseason, especially off of what he did last year. Or in really multiple years now, he's been putting together strong seasons. And then you have to figure out, or you have to factor in how much control he has left, right? So going into the like this season, I, I tweeted out, I thought it could take, you know, a, a Jason Dominguez and maybe, you know, an uh, Oswald Peraza. Like, it would take a lot to pry him from Pittsburgh. He's been struggling a lot this year. I think it dropped his value. He's somebody who I think would be worth the flyer because you could, again, you're bringing him in, especially now that he's struggling. You're not expecting him to come in bat lead off and hit 330 and, and drive in runs and, and play a fantastic center field. You probably bring him in, bat him seventh, and just be a solid bottom of the order batter. And then you hope that he could find his way back to what he did a season ago and, and two years ago. I mean, that could be something that, that would be interesting. And I don't think it would cost as much now. I mean, you're not going to trade a Dominguez for him, especially not a Peraza Volpe. I mean, those guys, I don't think any of them would, would would be of return for the Pirates. So I think he's somebody to keep an eye on because you could maybe get some of your guys that are on the 40-man roster crunch that you're going to need to trade anyway. You kind of package them together. I mean, it's going to hurt. Don't get me wrong. You're going to have to trade some big names, but I don't think it's going to be as much as it would have been if you traded for him, let's say, in December or January. Absolutely. And the Yankees right now, I mean, we... Like one of the few complaints people have about them is that they have not played anybody, which again is not their fault because you can only play who's in front of you. Like starting next week, we have a fun stretch here coming up for them. They have a series against Tampa at home, and they go to Toronto and Tampa, and they have a four game series at home against Houston here. So, like, what do you think that stretch will tell us about them? I mean, this is this is what you asked for. Like you said, you could only do so much with the teams that are in front of you. I mean, that's all you could ask for. You can't say, "Oh, I want to play the top teams all the time." They they play the competition that they were given. They run through them for the most part, and now it's time to see really where they stack up. I mean, Toronto, Tampa, Houston, this is going to be a tough stretch, but this is where you see what the Yankees are made of. I mean, is this pitching legit? This is where they're going to prove it now going against these teams. And granted, I know the Yankees played Toronto a bunch and they played Tampa already, but you know, you still, this is a stretch where you're playing very good teams on a nightly basis, so it's going to be over a long stretch of time. Um, the hitting is going to go against better pitching, obviously. Um, it's definitely going to be a tell for where the Yankees really stand. They're playing. I, I think it's going to be positive even coming out of these series with these teams. 
Yeah, and right now they have a sizable lead in the division. We're recording on June 6th before they begin their series at Minnesota this week. They're up 7.5 on Toronto, 8 on Tampa Bay. But of these two teams, who do you think would be the bigger threat to them in the long run? I know Toronto got a lot of the hype uh, coming into this season, and justifiably. I mean, they put together a really strong lineup. They're piecing together their pitching year by year, uh, and they've performed well. Like you said, they're in second place right behind the Yankees. Um, I still always in the back of my mind, keep Tampa as that, as that problem team. I mean, they're no matter who's on that roster, they can have a complete turnover. And it seems like they just know how to put the right pieces in place to compete. Um, and I think they're, they're, they're going to be a team that lingers on. They're only what I think a half game behind Toronto. You said at this point, so they're going to be fighting for it. Um, Toronto, again, like you said, they're, they're, they're tough. They have a lot of star power. Um, they're they're going to be a team to keep an eye on, but I always lean towards the raid just because, Kevin Cash knows how to get the best out of that roster, no matter who's on it. So um, if I had to pick one team, I'm going to go with Tampa. Absolutely. It's going to be a lot of fun in New York this summer because, I mean, Yankees are the best record in the American League right now. The Mets are the best record in the National League. When you get to City Field after the All-Star break, these two teams beat for the first time, the price of those tickets could be through the roof. Oh, I mean, good luck trying to go to those games. It's going to be fantastic. <laughs> I mean, as it is, it's, it's going to be expensive just because of the teams that are playing, but uh, like you said, the Mets have been impressive despite their injury issues, especially, you know, with the Grom and Scherzer, and they're still winning. I mean, it's been fantastic for them. Like we've talked about this whole call, the Yankees have really been able to put everything together despite some injury hiccups as well. Um, it's great to see. It, I love seeing New York teams thriving, and uh, that's what both these teams have been doing in spades. So, uh, like you said, July is going to be fun to see. July will be fun to see. Always fun to see. Maybe we'll even get the dream of and then play in the World Series again. We'll see if that happens. Dan, thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. Before I let you go, how can people keep up with your Yankee insights on Twitter? Yeah. Um, right now I'm, you know, just just staying active on Twitter. Uh at Dan J. Federico, follow me there. Um, gonna be writing some things over the summer as we go along, so just keep an eye out for that. Uh yeah, but as of now, you can catch me on Twitter. Mike, thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it as always. Thanks, Dan. I really appreciate it. All right, man. Have a good one. All right, we are back here on the Just and the Suffering podcast, continuing our coverage of Stranger Things Season 4, the back half of Volume 1, Episodes 5 to 7. Joining me today, our pop culture correspondent, who was here last week to help me recap Episodes 1 to 4, Sandra Rosa is back here. Sam, how are you? Uh, super excited. Thanks for having me back. I'm glad you're back. I'm glad you also did not get uh, possessed by Vecta in between podcasts. You know, I've been just blasting my Spotify premium uh, all the time. <laughs> So what is the go-to song if Vecna tries to possess you? Uh, you know what? That's so funny. I was thinking about that today. Um, I don't know. It's been a week-by-week basis. I maybe would be possessed by Vecna. I don't have a favorite song. I just listen to the same song over and over until I get bored of it. So if he just waited out long enough, he could totally get me. Yeah, that would not be good. Uh, no, not really, but it's fine. <laughs> yeah, for me, this, the go-to would be Living on a Prayer by Bon Jovi. That would be the go-to for me. That's a solid one. Yeah. I mean, it came on at a wedding I was at this week, and I was number, I was the first guy on the dance floor. Well, I mean, that's a great one. And it's 80s, yeah. right? Yep. Right around that time um, period. But, like, I guess Separate Ways has been stuck in my head ever since we started this show. So, so far, so good. Yeah, I mean, Kate, Kate Bush is having a renaissance because of this show, which is incredible. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And we are back now. We are watched the entirety of Volume 1, Episodes 5 to 7 now completely. We watched 1 to 4 last week. And I got to say, they did a good job here leaving you wanting more. I mean, we've been watching the internet. The conversation's kind of slowed down a bit because obviously we're two weeks out from the drop of the season. But I feel like there's still a lot of plot points that people buzzing with theories right now. Definitely. Also, we can just make that, like, talk go right back up, right? Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll make it trending again. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. yeah, any general thoughts on what we watched in the last three episodes of The Batch? The last three episodes were long, don't get me wrong, but I oddly felt like they were paced really well, and they focused mostly on the things that meant the most, at least to me. Yeah, I did like the pace. I did feel like nobody really got like the short end of the stick. I mean, there were some stuff here like, the California crew not really being involved in the last episode was like a little bit of a disappointment, but 
considering how long you're going back and forth between Hopper and Hawkins in there, like I can understand like they enjoy they let them drive this episode. They'll show up in part eight. Yeah, and then also like the top um going back, we had a lot of California plot, if you think about it, in the beginning of the couple like the the front end of the season. So maybe it was like exacerbated enough to like kind of like trickle out. Yeah, and I was missing my Argyle episode seven. <laughs> I was too, but um not to like go too far back in the past. Um, first off, just just wanna say, um, me and good old Will, we have the same birthday. And the writers forgot it. They well, they I think that whole plot point with him with the video, yeah. that was a big thing. With they everybody forgot his birthday. Yeah, the Duffers themselves said they forgot his birthday and they're right in the season, so <laughs> Well, March 22nd is a great day. So everybody send me gifts next year in 2023. Um, but that was just a very interesting little piece there. Um, you know, just being able to go on TikTok and, you know, Reddit and everything and just like listen to all these theories. It's crazy. It really is. I think a lot of the series really started with the 11 storyline where we sort of we left her in the first batch. She wasn't even yet for the episode because Dr. Owens picks her up to go make her a superhero again. And she tells it to Mike and then, we find out, like, shocker of all shockers, Dr. Brenner is not dead. He's still alive. So, I mean, it's kind of the worst polygraph, like, choreographed secret in the show. But, like, were you surprised at all to see Matthew Modine back and like, not in flashbacks? No, I wasn't. Um, I felt like he was going to pop up at some point. Um, but, you know, as much as I hate him, and especially when we're doing, like, the, you know, past scenes, I, like, feel like we have him to thank for unleashing the beast again basically you know yeah i mean brenner i think we sort of you listen to like sort of his like viewpoints on this i think matthew modine said this as well it's like brenner thinks he's doing the right thing that he's trying to like like save the world by creating like a bunch of superpower kids maybe sort of like umbrella academies where he's taking like a bunch of kids and trying to make them into a elite superhero team and then mm-hmm. like seeing how that all goes down that was a fun plot device to see 11 you go through the flashbacks to unlock her press memories to get her powers back and so we're seeing yeah. a lot of fun stuff, especially about we I next put together we get the Vecta origin story in this plot. Uh yeah, which I didn't see that coming at all. Like that was awesome. Yeah. And we find out it's the orderly Peter in the flashbacks who is like trying to help Eleven. We find out that he is the son of Victor Creel. We've got to mention the last time was played by the son of of a. Uh, Forget you know, son Victor Creel's son. He's played by Robert Eglin, the original Freddy Krueger. That was a fun casting choice. You know what's so funny? So I was like watching it, and I was like, "This guy seems familiar." Now I watched Nightmare on Elm Street one time. Scared. I do not do well with scary. Like this season's been really big for me. Um, being scared, and I'm like, I feel like I know this guy. And um, yeah, no, I think that it is. Uh, it's a, like a nice um homage or whatever you call it. Yeah, it, it to was the a- show. Yeah, great callback to that movie. And you see that Victor Creel find out, like, he originally gets blamed for murdering his family. Find out that it's his son who has these powers and kills his kills his mom and his sister. And then he gets committed to Renner's care. Renner basically tries to create an army of super kids that, like, following his lead. He's number one. And then out basically that he's put in some sort of like immunosuppressing chip in his body. He cons Eleven to pulling it out, and he goes on a rampage and murders all the kids there. That was, like, legit terrifying. Yeah, because, I mean, of course, it's the narrative they want. It makes him think that Eleven's the bad guy. But in reality, Eleven is a superhero. It just further proves that she is good because she uses the one good memory she has of love to destroy Vecna. Yeah. Yeah, and it's crazy because, like, she does basically open the portal to the Upside Down, sends him in. And she creates Vecna, basically. So this is all her and, fault right now. Yeah, and she seals it shut again. So yeah. she has the ability to shut portals as well, as we have seen. But, like, that was another big thing. She sent him in and sealed it shut when she was just a little kid. Yeah. I saw it was- did, you see, did you see all of the um, people watching again and finding out that they've used the clock dinging throughout the past four seasons? I did not see that. Is that a TikTok thing? Uh, yeah, I am deep in the, the Stranger Things algorithm. It's, they use that. Uh, apparently, 
the shadow figure that Will sees in episode one looks like Vecna with the weird, creepy hand. Yeah. It's amazing. You should get on TikTok just for Stranger Things. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely something I'll keep in mind here. I do think it's fun watching all of this stuff, like, happening here, especially, like, with the Freddy storyline of Vecna. And you see, like, especially all of his budget they had, a lot of it, I think, went to Vecna. 100%. I feel like... Like, especially for, like, episode seven. Yeah. That 30 million, I'm just like, damn, like, they probably used every penny. Yeah, I'm not sure if you saw this. Did you know that the actor, Jane Campbell Bauer, is actually in the Vecna suit? He's not CGI? I did not know that. Yeah, so that is a very detailed costume he's in. That seems like a lot of hours in the makeup chair. (laughs) Yeah, it's like at least half your day is in the makeup chair, getting in that. Oh, my God, that's crazy. I didn't know that. It's definitely a lot of fun, and I do think Vecna is a fantastic villain for this season just because, like, the psychological horror he has, and, I mean, like, we see, again, he kills, like, like I predicted last time, the poor basketball player was doomed. Yeah, yeah. Poor guy. And then the fact that he just targets people with guilt. Yes. That is so messed up. Yeah, it's very disturbing. It's really disturbing. He's, like, you know, he is supposed to be, like, Freddy Krueger gets you in your dreams, um, but dang. He is ruthless. He is absolutely ruthless. And we'll talk about the Hopper storyline too a little bit, which again, this still underwhelmed me with these three episodes. We got very little movement with it because, I mean, we spent like one episode of them on the plane to Russia and Hopper in prison. Then we spent an episode with them walking to the prison and Hopper (laughs) getting ready to face the Demogorgon. And then they reunite the end of episode seven. That's really the storyline. To me, I feel like this felt like such small potatoes compared to what was going on in the other two plots. Yeah, I mean, like, we got Murray with his Murray-ness and joy. Like, I just think of that storyline as Jif, peanut butter, or whatever. Yep. And also just the night, the Demi Gorgon, and then also just the nice hug at the end. And that was probably the best part of the entire, you know, seven episodes that they spent on this yeah. with the Hopper storyline. Yeah. The, I think the best part was Murray's karate skills and him pretending to be Yuri. That, that was the best part of that, of that whole storyline. Oh, my God. That was hilarious, yeah. Murray's karate. Yeah. I did like that Murray it's like was trying had to pretend to be Yuri to fool the prison guards. And then the prison guard says, and it was like, I was told Yuri had one screw loose and you have multiple screws loose. And they just start laughing maniacally. Yeah, that was that was funny. The, guy, uh, the actor who plays Murray does an amazing job. Yeah, I think it's Brett Gellman plays him. Yeah, uh, his TikTok has been up on my algorithm too, which is weird, which if you want an interesting couple of, you know, minutes of your life, definitely go check that out. Yeah, I, I loved Murray in this storyline. I just think we could have resolved this a little faster. I think that was my complaint with it. I feel like we we did get some good character stuff with Hopper, like talking about like how he feels like responsible for like the mistakes in his life. And I do think mm-hmm. we took a little too long like, like with him sitting still for like the storyline really like keeping him away from the kids that was going on in Hawkins. Yeah, my only thing is I wonder if they're just going to bring Russia a little bit more in this. Like, it feels like Russia knows a little bit more about the Upside Down in some way. You know what I mean? It feels like it's, like, leading up to something. I'm wondering if that's where we're going to get Season 5 plotline from. Yeah. yeah. It's just a theory. It is a theory. I just think the issue I have with it is, like, you know, like, we had, like, we we already done the Demogorgon thing. And now like, we went from that to the Demodogs in Season 2. And we had the Mind Flayer last year, Vecna this year. And was like... We're going back to the Demogorgon. I don't really feel like as that like that is as terrifying. Unless it's just a callback. Yeah. I don't know. I I don't know. It was a very weird callback. Although I did I did appreciate the fact that like Hopper like remembers like oh like, this thing is terrified of, of fire and like manages to like, get in a fight with the guard and steal some alcohol and a lighter to like light a stick on fire. Yeah, which is interesting. Um, which we'll talk about later. It's it's a prediction for later on. It's, uh, that's a tease. Yes. All right. Let's go to the California storyline for a minute because obviously they, well, as we saw them, they were escaping the the, the gunfight at the house, and then the got the guard they take dies. I did love when Argyle want, wanted to bury the dude. He's like writes on a pizza box, like like something like an unknown unnamed uh, military guy. He died a hero, and he writes their names on the to- on the uh, tombstone. I love that. Um... He's such a great character. I mean, he's the comedy, the comic relief, I should say. Uh, but, like, I don't know. He's just such a, like, a, a wrench in such a good way in yeah. the show. Yeah, yeah, he's the guy who literally has this, I feel like he's the audience vehicle. He just walks, he has no idea what the hell's going on. And like, it's like if, if one of your parents just watched Stranger Things the first time. They have no idea what they're getting into. 
Yeah. I also did love, I think, when Jonathan calls him out, it's like, we're writing our names in the box. Like, they're all common names. Yeah, exactly. That and, like, I feel like that's the part where, like, Jonathan's kind of, like, quote-unquote sobering up to yeah. the, everything that's going yeah. on. Yeah. And he's kind of, like, taking responsibility more. I feel like that maybe was, like, a little bit of a call to action for him to, like, kind of be, like, realize, hey, we're back in this. Let me be, like, you know, in charge, you know, in charge. Like, let's do something. Yeah, and at that point, I think Mike's whole thing is that the guard gives him the contact info to try and find the Nina project where Eleven is so she can so they can warn them that the military is coming after them. And then I think this is great. I did not expect this at all. It's like, we get a road trip to Susie's house to dial in with the computer and find out what's going on here. And Susie's house was the comedy subplot of episode six. It was just so much fun. <laughs> Yeah, it was. And I feel like it was a, a lot of different, like, little tributes to different, again, like, it's like a huge 80s tribute to everything, you know, going on. Like, uh, the sister Eden yeah. was basically Ali Sheedy. Yeah. I was like, oh, that looks just like Ali Sheedy. <laughs> yeah, I love the, that all these kids were just, like, like, having complete utter chaos. You had the kids, like, filming the movie and pretending that, like, they're murdering somebody. You had the kid who's dressed like just like pig pen and he's like basically just flipping the circuit breaker every time every five minutes and you have kids who are like super serious chefs yeah this the chefs who are cooking in the kitchen and then we, we get the Susie situation where she finds out that basically she lost her computer because she 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 hacked the hawkins la uh school district system and changed dustin's latin grade in the premiere oh that was a good one yeah. um just the way that they shot that like flashback was hilarious yeah it was hilarious and for the sports fans out there Susie's dad reminded me a lot of Andy Reid. Yeah, no, I remember you texted me that, and I was like, oh, 100%. Yeah, because he's got the walrus mustache, he's got the right build, and he's using the mm -hmm. computer, and he's, he, stole, he stole the computer from her, and he's using it for work. And then they basically call this long con to get in there and get put the corn, the, the corners in to find it out. I did love that Mike was basically an idiot again, and she asked the Susie after she goes through all the hacking to find it. And she's like, he's like, can you print that? She's like, no, my skills and a geolocation. <laughs> that was such a great line. Yeah. What did you think of their lie they made up that they were gonna buy they were trying to find a secret video game system for Dustin? That's why that they needed her help hacking in there. Yeah, I mean Susie Su Su Susie is smart. Uh so I thought it was kind of like lame to the character. Yeah. But you know, also she's kind of like blinded by love as well. Yeah. So, you know, I'm sure that they could have said anything and she would believe them. Yeah, I feel like that's an easier sell also than trying to tell... I don't know how much Dustin's told her about all the shenanigans and Hawkins with the Upside Down. Yeah, definitely not. Unless, you know, Susie comes in, like, riding on one of those... Whatever whatever they're called from season two, the dog ones. Yeah. She tames them. You know, I, I, that's right. a joke. That's not actually one of my hot takes, but... <laughs> so your hot take's not Susie coming in riding a demodog? No. But that if that happens, I, I don't even know. I think I just start guessing less i guess because that's ridiculous i'll say if the demodog susie shows up riding a demodog that will be on the year-end clip show for like ray's predictions of the year perfect you know what that's what we can leave it with yeah, yeah. perfect yeah. yeah we leave them there we go a lot of the storyline of hawkins i was enjoying too is then we see more of the hunt from the basketball team to try and find eddie this is where patrick died like patrick the basketball player dies and despite the fact that uh like uh, the captain Jason sees that Eddie didn't kill him. He's now convinced that Eddie made a deal with the devil, and like he out, he goes to a town hall meeting and gets the whole town basically going on a witch hunt for Eddie, which is pretty crazy. It shows you like how he gave the inspiring speech in episode one when he's not doing the prep rally. Here he's using it for evil, basically. Yeah, I mean, like I think he's turning into like the you know '80s villain. You know what I mean? Like the good-looking jock guy who whatever, but. That was a very, that's a very good um, parallel to like the first episode to the um, the other one. It's just like his, he's very charismatic. Yeah, he's very charming. He's that skill for not so good means here. And I did think it was fun seeing the kid group sort of like sort of split up here where the teen, the older teenagers all end up going into the upside down to try and figure out what's going on in there. Mm -hmm. And and I did to get more information on Vecna, and I did think it was fun. We got a lot of information on the Upside Down from that trip. We did, and it's interesting that it's stuck in 1983. Yeah, and this is something I think Nancy wants to go to her house in the Upside Down to get guns. And how shocking that Nancy said she has two guns. Um. Well, we do see them. Yeah. 
like especially because steve's like oh you almost shot me with that one you know it's like it's hilarious um nancy is a very strong character but she's riddled again with guilt as we saw but that were you surprised then like you know i'll see you on the other side you pull up and then she falls and she's in beckness trap that i did not see that coming yeah that was a terrifying point because you see she's falling on and you realize where she is and they show you the corpse of barb in the pool and like barb i yeah. just wanted i just wanted her to be alive secretly somehow yeah, yeah. you were a big team justice for barb yeah justice for barb yeah. heck yeah i feel like i've said that before too yeah. <laughs> um but yeah no that was big and like i said like vecna targets people with guilt like when we talked about um the basketball player who died Lucas is like, I saw him, he had a black eye one time and he said he fell, but I didn't believe him. Yeah. Like that whole interaction with Tim, him and Max, he's like, I see you. Like, you know, he's, he's there. And I'm, I'm afraid with that interaction that might get someone in trouble with him and Max. So. Yeah. Yeah. I also think you brought a good point about the upside down being frozen in time. And Nancy notes that this is the day that will like get pulled in the upside down the first time. So that's when mm-hmm. the, the upside down time stops. I think. It's something I think I've read in interviews that Duffer Rose has going to be addressed next season, but they did leave the breadcrumb there. Like, that's something to be watching for in the future. Gotcha. I feel like it has to do, like like I said, I feel like maybe because it was when Will was first taken, it's the first time somebody else has been brought into the Upside Down before Vecna. And it kind of, maybe it was Will who messed everything up. Yeah. And I do have the Christmas on. I'm upset. I do not, no longer have a light bright, so we can't communicate through light bright like they were doing to the Upside Down. Yeah, that was great. I loved that um, that whole scene. It's like S T U, stupid. Oh, yeah. stuck. Like that yeah. whole thing was hilarious because they're kids. Yeah, it's funny because like you forget that you know, the show's about about a bunch of kids. Yeah, I did think it was a lot of fun. I think it's gonna be the big meme thing now is everybody's using like light brights, and I felt bad for poor Holly who was playing with her light bright has it gets stolen to communicate. Yeah, that poor Holly. Maybe she'll be there in the up and up. Yeah, were you a were you a big light bright kid? No, nobody would buy me a light bright. They said it was a waste of money. I actually did have a light bright as a kid, so this really hit me in the feels. Yeah, well, you said you had one? I did. Jealous. I remember going over uh, like my friends' houses who had them, and that's what I wanted to play with because I was not allowed to have one. Yeah, because I remember you would stick the little pictures on the frame that had the dots that you're supposed to put the pegs through to make the pictures. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, and then I also go back, like, I know this is a different movie this is a movie and it's not stranger things but uh, i always think of elf with the light brights when he's like putting it in and he's like sweating with all the lights there i just think that's so funny that's what i think about when i think about light brights yeah the light light bright was a great plot point i think it was fun to use that for them to communicate and then we do get a lot in this plot line as well of the steve and uh nancy thing which they are hinting very strongly at a reunion i don't know if this is a sort of red herring to sort of keep away from like whenever Jonathan shows back up in this plot line. But I do start to worry about Steve's longevity in the show. See, I heard that Steve's a pretty safe character. I feel like he's had, he's more of the, like the rest of the gang, like the kid gang. I don't know. I have a prediction for when we get to it, but um, there's so many cute little you know, stolen glances and little like commentary, like when they're in the boat. Yeah. When like Robin smiles, because you know, it's like things like that is like it's super cute. Yeah. We didn't get like I don't know if they just rewrote him to be more likable, if they had this plan for him all along, but like they didn't have I don't know. I don't know. I just love Steve and Nancy. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, and it's something too Eddie points out too is that when they're bike riding after the bike riding the upside down that he talks to Steve and says, Hey, like she dove in the water right after you got pulled down without any hesitation. Like if that's not love, I don't know what is. So they're, they're heading very heavily out, which means I think, I think it's either a red herring. I don't think you're actually getting the reunion. That's my hunch. Yeah. I mean, I feel like the show is uh, due for us to have some heartbreak. I think it is due for some heartbreak here. And I do think it's a good time here. Let's, let's give out the MVP for, as a whole for volume one. Who would you say is your MVP for the whole seven episodes? It's got to be Steve. I know I went in uh, with Max for my last one, uh, but overall, um, as a whole, I believe that it's it's Steve. He had a hu- played a huge role. He's really like trying to learn, which kind of scares me. He ha- he has had a very good character arc, which goes back to your thing with like maybe it's a red herring, like whatever. 
But um, I think Steve's been the MVP. He's been uh, very consistent, very helpful, hilarious. And he's, you know, he's trying. Yeah. I mean, he was a dust. I feel like Dustin in a very strong volume one because he seems to quickly grasp what's going on with Vecna. He has a good job explaining to people like Eddie who have no idea what the hell he's getting into and figures out how to communicate with the upside down people with the light bright. I feel like he had a very good volume. He did. And also he's a very big, he's basically the glue that holds a lot of these, you know, friendships together, which is very interesting. Yeah. He's sort of the bridge from like Steve and Robin to like the Nancy, the Nancy Jonathan group. Like, mm-hmm. like, like he's, a, he, he connects a lot of the tissue there. Exactly. He's got the way. Who is the worst character of volume one? Oh, well, it's pretty obvious and it's, Mostly going to be, you know, in the trio of the Hopper, Joyce, and Murray. Now, yes, did they all have their moments of good in the sh- like in the, this past uh, seven episodes? Yes, but they haven't really been giving us anything this entire season. It's the whole Hopper plot line that's been kind of at a loss for me. Yeah, I mean, that one, I'll say that one. And I think I'm going to say here, I don't, I don't think we've gotten a ton out of Jonathan either. No, definitely not. Also, like, Jonathan, I feel like, has been the character that's been least on the screen. And also, he's just not the character who we saw back in, like, season one and two. No, he's in a lot of this first batch sort of mopey. He's away from Nancy and, like, talking about how he can't get the same college as her. And, like, it's really his only sort of, like, one-note storyline through the whole thing. That, and I saw a bunch of the times on a Reddit, like, a Reddit page that he just never actually does anything as well. If you go back and think about it, it's always somebody else saving his butt. Yeah, he's getting high at Argyle. That's the only other thing he's really doing. <laughs> that's it. That's why I'm saying, like, with the pizza box, I think that's when he woke up from his, like, little, you know, <laughs> Pity party. trip, I guess, yeah. and uh, woke up and realized that it's time to take some action. Yeah. Also, I'll mention for this, the Susie house storyline, how Argyle falls in love with Nancy's old, with uh, Susie's older sister, and then they end up, like, yeah. smoking weed in the back of his van. Yeah, so it was cute. That was a cute little thing. Yeah, I did think that was a lot of fun. And we have some looking ahead. We got some time for volume two drops in a couple of months here. So any big predictions for the last two episodes? Um, Would you like to hear my big prediction that could be a spoiler? Sure. Okay, well, it's not really a spoiler. It's based all in theory. But remember when we were talking about, I know this is going back to a different episode. We were talking about Obi-Wan with the posters yes i feel like the posters may have something to do with this season most of the characters are looking at you and there are four characters who are not so most of the time they're making eye contact with the viewer looking at the poster there's four characters who are looking away to the side um and those characters are max um mike jonathan and joyce so i'm thinking that they're the ones that are gone which i hope they don't get winona Ryder out she's as much as i'm not the biggest fan of joyce i love winona that's an interesting point on that one i do think that's an interesting call i do think i'm worried about steve i don't know if steve's gonna make out the season yes i know and then um with max i feel like max is gonna like kind of sacrifice herself to save lucas i feel like jonathan's gonna sacrifice herself to save um or jonathan's gonna sacrifice to save uh nancy sorry and joyce is going to sacrifice herself to save harper i feel like something like along those lines will happen so we're both in agree somebody's going to die from this main cast i feel like more than one person's going to die that's like my end all prediction is it's definitely oh and we're gonna get a sweet air guitar solo yeah. from eddie yeah that we saw in the previews yeah. for the show yeah, so the... he's gonna have a nice riff in the upside down <laughs> it's one of the few things in the trailer we haven't seen yet yes that and then going back to remember harper uh harper um What's his face? Hopper. Hopper. Sorry, I can't speak anymore. I'm sorry. It's late. Uh, give, has the spear that's on fire. Yeah. We see uh, Dustin holding one of them. Yeah. So I'm thinking that Hopper has to teach him that because I don't think they know that. Oh, it's something to watch for sure. I just think with Steve specifically, I feel like there's like so many like instances in this season right, where he's been like in peril and in trouble. Like he's dies like deaths a couple of times first he gets pulled under he's getting attacked by the bats and now he's with yeah with the with the upside down situation and i feel like his number i think could be up i also feel like we're gonna have i think at least like you said probably a couple of big deaths just to like sort of like set the tone that nobody's safe for the last season 
Exactly. I just, even more the fact, like, I'm very excited for these next two episodes, but I'm very, I mean, we have to wait until they come out, of course, preface. But season five, I can't even wrap my head around what the heck they're going to do. Which, of course, again, I know what you're going to say, Mike. You have to watch the last few episodes. Yeah, I'm sure they'll tease something up in there. It's a tease you for mm-hmm. five. Like, last year, the po- they had a po- the post credits with Hopper and the, Demog- or the Demogorgon in Russia. We learned about that. That is true. Yeah, and I do think the run times we had now for the, f- the last two parts here. Chapter eight, 85 minutes. So, just short of a movie. Chapter nine... Two hours, 19 minutes, longer than Doctor Strange or Top Gun Maverick. I'm here for it. Let's yeah. go. If they if they did it right like they did episode seven, it's going to fly by and we're going to just be upset after it. Yeah, this is basically the the untold summer blockbuster, Stranger Things, chapter, like chapter nine. Yeah. <laughs> I am very excited for these next couple weeks to fly by. Yeah, and it comes out July 1st, so right before 4th of July weekend. They seem to like these holiday weekend releases here, so. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. Most people are off, you know, for the most part, and uh, they want you to drive up those, you know, views. Yeah, and luckily for me, it's it's only two parts this time, so I think we can do both in one shot next time. Yeah, we're going to be very emotional, I have a feeling. Yeah. So let's take it for you are coming back in early July. We're going to do the wrap up of season four. There's going to be some tears. Hopefully not too many tears, but I feel like there's going to be some tears. There also be some laughs as well. I'm sure. I really hope there's some laughs. I hope it's not that depressive scariness that it's been for a lot of it. Yeah, I hope you're right. We'll see. Uh, Sam, thanks all the time. I really appreciate it. Before I let you go, I'll be on social media. Keep up with what you're up to. Uh, Twitter, you can find me at S-D-E-R-O-S-5, or you can follow me on TikTok. At Salmon Sports. That's a fun one. That is that is a fun one. What else have you been keeping up with on the streaming front lately? Uh, I mean, I'm playing catch up to a million things. Um, God. I mean, I started the Lakers um, documentary one. Uh, winning Time? Yes, Winning Time. I started that. I started The Boys. I heard that was a good one to know. Jeez. Um, Obi-Wan, of course. I'll start uh, the... What should I call it? Miss Marvel? Yeah, Miss Marvel's Miss Marvel's coming out t- tomorrow. Tomorrow. Yeah. yeah, geez. It's already June 8th tomorrow. Uh yeah, no, I'm trying to just latch on to as much as I can. Yeah, well, not funny. What do you thought of winning time so far? Winning time, only one episode in. I don't I don't have that many thoughts, but so far I like it. I will I know that's not a good answer and there's no description, but I am just one episode in and I'm trying to wrap my mind around everything but so far i'm really enjoying the acting i'd say it's a lot of fun that's the way i describe that show yeah no it's funny i i think it's funny at least so yeah because there were times i just i remember watching that show i watched all, the entire season like i was just bursting out laughing at points th- during the show it was so great yeah no this is going to be a nice pick me up after stranger things yeah another fun one i'll put on the i'll put on the calendar P- people are interested here two things to keep on here is number one the espn announced that they're Starting to drop the Derek Jeter like documentary series. I think starting July 18th. It's seven episodes. So we'll be definitely keeping an eye on the podcast here. So point that uh, out. So excited for that. My back of my head might be in one shot, yeah. but probably not. But I'm hoping for it. Oh, you were there when they were you've been around you you know when they were filming. They filmed one little, I think, scene uh by my office. And I was like, whoop. And I like kind of moved out of the way. Yeah. It's definitely not in there, but here's to dreaming. Yeah. And the other thing I'll point out here is like, I remember a baseball movie draft a while back. Apparently, they may have a show for Amazon Prime based on a league of their own that's coming out on August 12th. All right. That's uh, definitely something I'm going to put on my calendar. Yeah. So, a little August release. Put that out there for you people. Keep an eye on some stuff. Sam, thanks a lot. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. All right. And that will do it for this week's show. I want to thank uh, Dan Federico for taking time to talk about the Yankees. They have been on fire. We'll see how they can keep this going over the summer. I also want to thank Sandra. I just heard talking about the rest of volume one of Stranger Things season four. Looking forward to wrapping up our coverage of the season next month. Volume two, episodes eight and nine coming out July 1st. We will record shortly after that to give you our takes on the final two episodes of the season. What could look ahead for the final show of Stranger Things season five coming up in about, I'd say maybe a year and a half, two years. I mean, I guess. You are good stuff like this podcast, including my look at the latest 30 for 30, the greatest mixtape ever, a documentary about the and one mixtape era. Check out the blog over at justonthesuffering.wordpress.com. So check out the Sky Guys podcast if you like the Star Wars stuff. 
the part three recap is up there right now. Up part four coming out tomorrow on the feed. We are recording it tonight on the day you're listening to this. So if you like the Star Wars stuff and the episodic recaps of the shows, make sure you are on the Sky Guys so you get instant access. So the day after you record, they will be in your feeds. Otherwise, you got to wait till the weekend on the, on the Just on the Suffering feed. So if you like this and you don't want to wait for the Sky Guys stuff, check out the Sky Guys podcast on your, all your favorite podcasts. Glad I mentioned at the top of the show. You can also follow me on Twitter, mphilips331. It's M-P-H-I-L-I-P-S-3-3-1. That's all for this week. Coming up next week, we're going to keep track of the Rangers, see how they do the rest of the Eastern Conference Finals. We'll talk about the U.S. Open, the golf tournament coming up, and more. So we have a better week than Angels fans. This has been the Just End the Suffering Podcast. I'm out.